following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, February 11th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Welcome everyone to the Sunday morning gathering of Redemption Hill Church. For those who don't know me, my name's Raymond. I'm one of the pastors here as well. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 10 through 23 today. And that's the plan. The hope is to actually finish the book of Haggai this morning. Before we do that, though, I want to give you a couple of announcements. Uh, Eric DeBoer already mentioned the Ash Wednesday service we have this coming Wednesday. It'll be right here at 12 o'clock p.m. during that lunch hour. So if you can join us, we'd love to have you join us for that. We usually end before 1 o'clock so that we can get you back to wherever you need to be. But, but please join us for that this Wednesday. Second quick announcement. Next week, Sunday, we're actually going to begin a new series. All right? So I guess I do have to conclude Haggai this morning. We're going to begin a new series in the Gospel of Luke. So you can begin to prepare yourself for that. Go ahead and, and I'll just say go ahead and read through the first three chapters of Luke to prepare for next Sunday. So go ahead and, and do that. We're going to be going through Luke, and, and our goal in walking through the Gospel of Luke is the same goal that he had in writing it. If you're familiar with it there, he actually addresses it to a gentleman named Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus, most likely uh, a political, you know, political leader in, in that time and, and in that day. And he says to him, a lot of people have, have undertaken to give an account of Jesus' life, his teachings. And he says, I'm writing an orderly account for you, Theophilus, so that you can have certainty regarding the things you've been taught. All right? And that was his goal in writing. That's our goal in going through it. It's one thing to have familiarity with some of the things Jesus did and taught. It's another thing to have certainty about those things. And to, to have that certainty actually guide us into the kind of relationship with Jesus we should have. All right? And that's our goal in going through that. So again, going through the Gospel of Luke beginning next Sunday. Read through the first three chapters in preparation. And then, last announcement before we get into the Word here. For those of you who bring your kids here for the student ministry, or some of you are old enough to drive yourselves, cannot believe it. <laughs> uh, for our 5th through 12th, grader, through 12th graders, we meet here on Sunday evenings typically from six o'clock, or rather from five o'clock, no, that's when I got here, six o'clock to 7.30 is when we typically meet. Uh, today, it will be earlier. We're still meeting, but it will be earlier today. Now, I won't tell you why. <laughs> but we will be meeting here from 3.30 to five o'clock p.m. tonight. The student ministry, again, will meet tonight, everybody, from 3.30 to... 5 o'clock p.m. I will tell I heard there's some event tonight that does not include my Dallas Cowboys. All right, so it never does. Not anymore. And now to get into God's Word. Haggai chapter 2, verse 10 through 23. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll read that together. Father, thank you again for an opportunity to gather like this. And to just hear you speak to us through your prophet Haggai. I pray that you would open our minds and open our hearts, Father, so that, that your word would do what you said it would do. You said long ago through Isaiah that your word never returns to you empty or void. 
but that it always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it out. And so we're asking for that this morning, that that as you send out your word through Haggai, it would have its intended effect on our hearts. Father, that at the end of this, we we would be able to see Jesus more clearly and to reach out to him for the life that only he can give. And we ask that in in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 23. And if you've got one of these Bibles here from the pew, that's on page 791. Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Now, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, No. And then Haggai moves from things to people. Verse 13, Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Now pause, I I won't go through all of it, but as you read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, as I'm sure all of you have, you'll see that the priest got the answers correct here. All right? Verse 14. Haggai's about to get to what he's really after. Not just people in general, but the people he's talking to on that day, which, according to what we're told, is December 18th of 520 B.C. See, no reason to doubt that, and I'm not qualified to tell you otherwise. So, we'll take their word for it. Verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the, to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider... Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. And this was a full day for the prophet. Usually they get years between their messages, or at least months. But on the same day, he's going to speak another message to Zerubbabel. Here we are in verse 20. And the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. 
speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. Pause. God, God wants to speak to all of us, yes, collectively. But I, I love how sometimes he just focuses right in and he says, I'm, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to speak to me. And, and this message was for Zerubbabel. And he speaks to him and, and it says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Hopefully by the end of this, we'll, we'll make some sense out of that as well. Let's pray one more time, and then, and then we'll see what the Lord wants to say. Father, we, we do thank you again for the hearing of your word. We pray again now that it would have its intended effect as we walk through it. Make us more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. You've, you've probably had somebody come up to you at some point saying this. I have some good news and I have some bad news. Which one do you want first? Now, how many of you are the bad news first people? Yeah, for, for sure. Just, by, just curious, how many of you are the good news first people? And Toby, and then, you, and then you probably just leave right after that. It's like, thank you, that's all, that's all I wanted. Thank you very much. That's probably pretty smart, Toby. I might, might have to try that. But most of us will be the, good, the bad news first people. Give me that bad news and then let me end with the good news. I, I'll tell you up front, that's my hope and plan today. I want to end with the bad news, right? Or rather, with the good news. But to get there, to get there, we're going to have to walk through some bad news first. Now, now this is what prophets do, right? They're, they're all, every time you see a prophet, you're probably thinking, oh man, here they come. And, and these people by now could have used some good news. I hope you'll agree. I mean, things have been tough, right? We've walked through it. There was severe economic recession. I mean, you can see it described in all these different ways. This is an agricultural economy for the most part. Gosh, they, they've planted something. They're looking for a certain return. That's not only the food for their families and others. They sell a portion of that for their income. And they're going to find 50 of something and there's only 20. Or they go to find 20 and there's only 10. I mean, you're talking about 50 and 60% in terms of food shortages. And, and that's, that's hard for anybody at any time. On, on top of that, they have word from the prophet now that God is the one behind it. God is actively resisting them and making things hard for them. Right? And all of us want to think that God is for us and he's on our side. If you get a message that says God has been actively resisting you and working against you, because you've been neglecting something important to him. Well, that, you don't want to hear that. At this, at this point, you're ready for some good news. But you have a prophet coming to speak to you. And he says, well, it's going to take a while before we get there. And he begins with some bad news for them. All right, And we'll start there. We just want to follow Haggai this morning through the bad news until he gets to the good news. And hopefully we'll end with the best news of all. But here, here's the bad news. Join me, if you would, in, in verse 14. Haggai had just given them some questions, two leading questions to get to this point. And he, he says, if, if, let's say you have somebody who takes some meat that has been consecrated to God. This is now holy meat, right? This is, 
It can be used for God's express purposes in ways, ceremonially. Now, suppose that meat is carried in the fold or the, the fringe, you could say the, the hem of, let's say, a garment, a priestly garment. Does that holy meat, when it touches that priestly garment, does it transfer the holiness to that piece of clothing? Such that you could then take the piece of clothing, touch something else, and that would become holy as well? And the priest answered what? No. I mean, does holiness just transfer like that on down the line? Is that how it works? My parents are Christians. I mean, does that just automatically? No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Now, there are great and precious promises that we lay hold of, but, but in terms of automatic transfer, no. It doesn't, holiness doesn't work that way. And then he asks him another question. He says, now, now let's move from that to people. Let's say there's a dead body. And you have a person who has come into contact with that dead body. And because of that, according to God's law, that person has now become unclean. Ceremonially unfit to enter God's presence, to take part in, in some of the things that, that are there. So that person has become, it has transferred. They've become unclean. The dead body is unclean. That's the original source of the lack of cleanliness. The, the person now becomes unclean. And then they touch all these other things. Now, do those things now become unclean? The answer was, yes. Some things do transfer like that. And it's usually, it's usually the bad stuff, isn't it? That's so unfortunate. Like, for instance, we, we can all impart or transfer some illness or sickness to somebody else who, unfortunately for them, just happens to be too close. You can pass that along, but you can't pass along health. Right? It's just the way it works. And, and so here we are in verse 14 now, and Haggai is, is making his point. You understand how that works. So it is with this people. So it is with this people. There is a transfer. There is something about this people on the inside. There is a defilement, an inward defilement that causes everything they touch to also be defiled or unclean. And so here they are building the temple. God had said, you, you need to build this temple. And, and they, they started to build the temple. They were actually obeying God. And yet Haggai is trying to help them understand. And God needs us to understand this. He needed them to understand this. I don't want you to ever think that when I get to the good news and I start to turn everything around, I don't want you to think it's because of your works. I, I don't want you to make that mistake. The, just as important as it was to God for them to again prioritize what was most important to him, he wanted to protect his people from the error that the good things that were now about to happen were due to their works. Because apart from the grace of God, everything they touched would be unclean, unacceptable to him, unfit to enter his presence. The bad news, as, as Haggai lays it out here, is this. Even though their recent obedience to God was a good thing, it could never change or cure their inward spiritual condition. 
nothing they could do themselves with their own hands. Neither the temple they were building nor anything they would offer there would have been acceptable to God if all God was looking at were the hands that were offering or building those things. Nothing they did, nothing they built, no good deed, no good work, no sacrifice, no offering, no religious activity would ever have been able to cure their inward condition. Only the grace of God can do that. And so God goes further and says through Haggai, in fact, the opposite would be the case. It, 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 the temple would not be clean. The sacrifices would not be clean if your hands were the ones that, that, that put all that there. It, it works the other way, actually. Everything you touch would be defiled. And, and that's, that's the bad news for us this morning as well. God needs us to understand, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but God needs us to understand that apart from His grace, which, praise God, does change everything, but apart from His grace, anything these hands do, any work, any deed would be unclean. Our good works can never make us clean in God's eyes on the inside. Never. No good deed, no amount of religious activity. None of it can actually change or cure the inward sinful condition that we come into this world with. Only the grace of God can do that. Apart from His grace, everything we touch, all our deeds and all our worship would be tainted with sin. In fact, Isaiah, turn, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, and this is on page 623 in those pew Bibles. But in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, this will sound familiar to some of you. Isaiah said, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. All of our righteous deeds, even the things we think are the best, would be unclean, would be like a filthy rag in God's sight. In fact, I was thinking about how to maybe demonstrate that. And let's clear cup. This thing is so tilted. We are tilted in the direction of sin. This podium is tilted in the direction of gravity. This, let's, let's say this represents spiritual purity or cleanliness. Clear water. And let's say we have, less, uh, we have less balsamic vinegar in the Goodlit household now. <laughs> Hope we weren't planning to make anything with this, but let's say this represents the defilement of sin. It doesn't have to be as much bad as good. Every part of that water I don't know if you can see it or not. Every part of that water is less clear. Maybe you can't see it. 
But I can. You don't have to take my word for it. And, and, you know, from a distance, people look at us, they can't really see this truth either. But God can. It's there. Every piece of this water is tainted um, with that defiling agent. And, and, and this is one of the things the Bible teaches us is every part of our humanity, every part of our life is negatively or adversely impacted by sin. The way that we think, the way that we speak, our desires, our ambitions, our decision-making processes, the whole thing. We're not as evil as we perhaps could be. This glass of water is not as dark as it could be. Um, but it's still true that every aspect of our humanity and our being is, is adversely affected and tainted with sin. And, and we can't just add anything to that. I mean, it, it would be nice if we just could add, let's say, some, some good deeds on the outside of that. But nothing we add will actually change what's on the inside. You get it? Someone remind me not to leave that here this morning. <laughs> but nothing, nothing we add will change what's on the inside. And so that's the bad news. And fortunately, that's all the bad news for today. And now the prophet Haggai begins to give them some good news. And I'm sure they were all grateful, as, as you will be. Let's turn to verse 15. Haggai chapter 2, verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. And God was doing all of that to get their attention and to get them to respond in a particular way. But they had not done that. Verse 17 says, even with all that that the Lord had done to get their attention, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. And that's what God was after. Not just the rebuilding of the temple. You see, you see what I'm saying? It wasn't simply, God was not simply looking for that outward result. He did want that, yes. But he was not simply looking for that visible kind of obedience, the rebuilding of the temple. What he was after was a change on the inside where his people turned to him. God is not merely after our outward obedience or conformity to his will. He is after this right here. Have you turned to me, whether for the first time or for the first time in a long time, have, have you turned to me on the inside? That's what God is concerned about. And, and thanks be to God, the people, this was a revival. The, it, the whole nation of, of Israel at this point, those who were there, the remnant that was back in Jerusalem, they heard the word of the Lord and they responded. They turned to him. They began to prioritize what was first on God's list again. And they immediately started to obey the whole lot of them apparently. And God could see that his people had turned to him on the inside. They responded to his word as he would have desired. And now he was going to respond to them. And God says, now mark this day. 
Verse 18. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? No. I mean, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, it, it had produced nothing. There was nothing there. There was nothing to plant. There was none of that. And God said, look, from this day forward, I will bless you. It's going to be different. And, and this bit of good news was, was one that included a change in their outward circumstances. Things are going to be much better from you from this day forward. All the things that you've been suffering, the hardships, the economic realities, all of that kind of thing, the, the persecution, the, I, I'm going to move on your behalf in a way where a lot of this stuff is going to improve and get better. Now, that doesn't always happen. But that is part of the package for this people on this day. God is going to change even their circumstances and those things are going to get better. And he says here, you have turned to me and now I'm going to turn toward you in grace. Part of the good news for us today is that we have a God who is intent and determined on blessing those who do not deserve to be blessed. Ladies and gentlemen, that is, that is what gives us hope. As otherwise disqualified as we would be to receive this sort of grace and kindness from God, our God loves us so much that he is determined to bless people who do not deserve it. And, I, and I'll tell you why I think God has Haggai and others walk us through the bad news of our depravity at times on the way to this better news. Is because without an appreciation for who we are in our worst moments, who we are in terms of what sin has done to us, we, we will not properly or rightly appreciate the love or grace of God toward us. In fact, turn if you would to Romans chapter 5, and, I, and I'll show you what I mean. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, we'll come back to Haggai, don't lose your place there, but in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. God is about to compare the way that we tend to show love to the way that he tends to show love. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, starting there, it says, for while we were still weak, or, or another verse says, while we were without strength, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So who did, who did Christ die for? The ungodly, the unclean, the undeserving. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So naturally speaking, we as sinners, we would tend to say, oh, I can show some sacrificial love to this person or that person. And, you know, this is a pretty decent and good person. My love will stretch that far. But as for that person? And now God contrasts his love to ours by showing us who it is he is willing to love. And so in verse 8 he says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 10, he will actually say, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. So 
So God says, I sent my son Jesus to die, not for righteous or good people, but for sinners, for the unclean, for the undeserving. And in order to really understand and appreciate the bigness of God's love for us, you have to see those two bookends. Who is the one that died? The infinite worthiness of the one who died. And the infinite unworthiness of those for whom he died. We are perhaps willing to show sacrificial love for people who are pretty decent. God says, I'm, I'm going to take the worst, most undeserving person you can find, and I'm going to send my son to die for that, for him, for her. And that's how we measure the love of God. So, so God, as a way of showing us how much he loves us, as a way of helping us appreciate the grace that we have, he actually shows us more of that grace and love we perceive more of that grace and love when we include as our help in seeing that not simply the sacrifice Christ makes, but a better understanding of who it is he made that sacrifice for. Amen. Do you see that? Because I know a lot of times people will say, gosh, we've had a hard week. I just want to hear something good. I don't want to, I don't want to hear the worst things about myself all the time. I, I, I get that enough. But I, I hope you can appreciate one of the things God does in, in bringing you to that place is he's actually giving you a, a better opportunity to better understand his grace and love towards you. Does that make sense? All right. So good news, good news. Our God is determined to show grace, mercy, and kindness to those of us who don't deserve it at all. At all. And I, I'll tell you, even, even better news than that. Even better news then something in your circumstances will change. Because that was guaranteed for this original audience. I cannot guarantee that for us this morning. But we can guarantee something better. The prophet made a point earlier to tell people. One who is clean. Something that is clean doesn't automatically or necessarily transfer that cleanness. You can't just take the, the fringe of a garment or, you know, and touch something and all of a sudden that thing becomes clean. Until, let me give you a preview from Luke. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. It'll take us a while to get there as we begin our walk through Luke, but in Luke chapter 8, Verse 43 through 48. There was a, a woman who, who was suffering. She was suffering uh, through a lot. She had a medical condition that, that was just wreaking havoc in her life for, for 12 years. And, and she had tried everything. You know, she had been to doctors and spent all that she had she was no better off. She, she still could not overcome this condition. And, and she, she decided one day, I'm going to go find that Jesus that I keep hearing about. I'm going to, I'm going to, see, I'm going to see what he can do. Some of you, maybe, maybe it's been 12 years. You've got some Christian friend that, or relative that's inviting you. 
And, and, and maybe you're here this morning or, or you're listening and you're thinking, why not today? You know what? It's been 12 years. I'm, I'm just going let to, me, let me see what the deal is with this Jesus I keep hearing about. Let me see if he can help me. And this lady is part of a, a huge crowd um, running into Jesus and crowding him. Verse 44, she came up behind Jesus and she touched the fringe or the fold of his garment. And immediately she was healed. And Jesus said, who is it that touched me? And when everyone denied it, Peter said, Matt, what are you, what are you talking about? The, the, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. I mean, everybody touched you. Bumping me into you. Everybody's touched you. And Jesus said, no, no, Peter, that's not what I'm talking about. Everybody's bumping into me. I get that. People are surrounding me. But Jesus said in verse 46, someone touched me. They didn't just bump into me. They weren't just pressing in around me. They weren't just getting close. Someone reached out and actually touched me with intent. And he says, I know this. He, he says, someone, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out for me. She just reached out. If I can just, she said, if I can, if I can just touch the fold of his garment, there is now one among us who is so clean, so perfect, so pure, so powerful, that if I just reach out to him, if I just reach out and touch the least part of anything that would give me access to him, I can be made, I can be made clean. The, Jesus knew in that moment somebody had reached out and had touched him. Power went out and instantly she was healed. The, the better news for us today is like that. No matter what it is that's been wrong with us, no matter how long it's been that way, no matter how deep the defilement of, of soul and mind and spirit, Jesus can make us clean. And only Jesus. This is why I don't tinker with religion. You, you can't just choose a religion. You can't just say, I'm going to go do some Christian things that I get from the Bible. I'm going to go be a Muslim this time. They look pretty spiritual over there in the East. I'm going to, it doesn't work. The source of spiritual cleansing is Jesus and his blood. That is it. And so this woman reaches out to Jesus. And, and, and that's what I would say to us. The, the offer is there for us this morning. Just reach out. You and I don't have to figure out how to make ourselves clean. God has sent his son. And the only thing we have to do is what the people did in Haggai chapter 2. However God had revealed himself to them in that time, in their day, God says, what I want is not just, I don't want all those sacrifices. I desire obedience, not sacrifice. I want you to turn to me in your heart. And that's what God says, is just turn to my son. Just turn to him. For that is the will of the Father, that everyone who turns and looks upon the son would have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Right? His only begotten son, so that, so that whoever believes in him 
would not perish but have everlasting life. Turn, turn, turn. That's what repentance really means, turn. And as we turn to Jesus and reach out, we'll find the same thing, that power comes out from him to make us clean on the inside. Now, we're still going to struggle with our indwelling sin. Listen, that thing is going to pop up more than whatever whack-a-mole thing. That thing is going to keep popping up. All right? And we'll have to address it when it does. But in terms of how God now views us through the lens of eternity, through the blood of his son, we are clean. We are clean in, in the sense of we are acceptable in his sight. We are welcomed into his presence without fear of judgment and condemnation. We have been made clean once and for all through the, the most powerful and <clears throat> only spiritually cleansing agent, the blood of Christ. And Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He, he would say it wasn't with these, these worthless or, or uh, you know, temporary things that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without spot or wrinkle. But that offer is here for us today. We can be made clean. And now let's go back to Haggai chapter 2 so that we actually finish the book. Just a word of encouragement for you as we, as we start to wrap up here. In Haggai, <clears throat> second message of the day. This is be the second service, I suppose. Haggai comes and he speaks only to Zerubbabel. And he looks at him. And, I, you know, I wasn't there, you weren't there, but I, I promise you, I think after he heard this, Zerubbabel was a weeping mess. I'll try to show you why in a moment. Verse 20, Haggai chapter 2. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. We read that earlier. Verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. That signet ring was like a, the, a king's signature. You know, they would have the wax, he would put that on it, that would be his seal, it... it Bared the mark of his authority, and that was the official way. In other words, it's like you're at my right hand. You, you are as I am. You, your word is as my word. I, will, I have chosen you. I will make you my representative, my servant, O Zerubbabel. What I want you to look at is the, the, the way he addresses Zerubbabel in these two different verses. Look at verse 21 and look at verse 23. In verse 21, he says, speak to Zerubbabel. He's the governor of Judah. In that verse, no mention of previous generations. Verse 23. I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, and I will make you like a signet ring. To really appreciate what God is saying to Zerubbabel here and why I think he's a weeping mess, you'll have to turn to Jeremiah chapter 22. Zerubbabel, I will make you like a signet ring. Jeremiah chapter 22. Starting in verse 24. 
this will be page 650 in those pew Bibles. God says there, As I live, declares the Lord, though Kaniah, or Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they will long to return, they shall not return. Verse 30, thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. I'm cutting off this line of Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim. Now, if you read 2 Kings chapter 24, it will tell you all about how Nebuchadnezzar came in and actually did this, uh, put an end to Jehoiakim, and then ultimately Jehoiakim, or this same Kaniah we read about here, Jeconiah, all the same guy. He put an end to that, and right there, that was it. He took him away captive to Babylon, and that was the supposedly the, the end of the line of Jeconiah. Never again would there be a descendant of Jeconiah to sit on the throne of David. Jeconiah, it's rubble. Go to Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-one. Have you, ever, have you ever read these genealogies instead of just skipping over them? <laughs> when I first became a Christian, I, I started reading the Bible from the beginning, right? Let me just start in Genesis. And then I got to those, those genealogies. This begat that, begat that. And I, I knew it was important because it was in the Bible, but I was like, man, I just, I just want to read something that more quickly gets me to Jesus, you know? So I skipped over to Matthew chapter 1. Pierce God has a sense of humor. More genealogies. Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel grew up knowing that there was no possibility for him or any of his relatives. He, he knew the legacy of shame he had inherited. Jeconiah, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel. And God comes through Haggai and looks right at Zerubbabel and says, hey, Zerubbabel, I know your family line. I know the history. I know what I said. I know, I know, but I know the plans that I have for you. Look, I am resurrecting, as it were, the promise that there will be a king. Now, you won't be able to be king. You'll just be the governor because you're under the Persian Empire. But one day there will be a king that comes through your line. He will sit on the throne of David. And of the increase of his government and kingdom, there will be no end. Jeconiah, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, eventually we get to Jesus. 
And he still sits on the throne of David. And he will forever. God looks at us and says, listen, just to encourage you, I, I know the families you come from. I know the generational patterns. I know how you've sworn up and down some of you that you would never be like this or never do that. I know, and I know that, that some of you, that's come from me and, and you've seen a lot of success in that. But others of you, if you're like me, you've seen where some of that stuff has crept into your life. And God is saying, look, just like I healed that woman who reached out and touched Jesus and power came out from him, look, there is power in Jesus to break all kinds of generational patterns, to, to, to reach into our life and to say, look, don't, don't, don't worry about whatever has characterized you up to this point. Don't, don't worry about whatever people have said about you. Don't worry about the looks you've gotten. There is an opportunity right here. This thing, this thing that has been a part of your family line for so long, there is power in Jesus to break that thing. This could be the last generation that sees that thing coming and it is to be transferred no more. Listen, sometimes God does that. He reaches in and he does that. I, I, I know my own family line, it was abandoning your family. Every man had done that, abandoned their family and then my dad just, praise God, in his generation that was the, that was the thing. He was like, this, this, is just not, this is just not gonna happen. Not on my watch. I praise God for that. You know, and, and who knows what God wants to do in you, in this generation, and what that will mean for everything that comes after you. So just to encourage you, God can speak to us as individuals. He even, even to that point, the blood of Christ can come in and make a huge difference. There is one who is clean, so clean, that one touch from him. The, the least informed but truly genuine reaching out to him draws forth power that nothing can stop. Everything in our life can be made clean. Yes, we'll continue to contend with all the things that, that would set us back, but God's grace will be there to help us in all those moments as well. You and I can be made clean today. You and I, you and I can know the Jesus who stands uh, who stands almost like Gandalf before Balrog and says, you shall not pass. This thing shall not pass onto my kids, my grandkids. May the Lord be so kind to us, though we don't deserve it, that he would not only make us clean through the power of his blood, but that he would see generational patterns broken wherever they need to be broken. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your kindness. None of us deserves the mercy, the grace, and the kindness you have shown to us. But you have, you have shown it to us. And you will continue to do that for anyone who takes you up on this offer. It, it was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that we were redeemed, but with the imperishable and precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity now to hear this word of encouragement again, to see even through the bad news, the good news, that your love and grace toward us is, is so immense, it can never be matched, and it can never be stopped. We need only to turn to you and receive it. I pray that you would cause us to do that now, whether for the first time in our lives or just again, because we find ourselves needing it once again. We ask these things 
through the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodland, given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.